Welcome to the Thursday edition of the Daily Walk. I'm your host, Wayne Clevenger. Today we are in Mark 8 through 10, and it is good stuff. Today I'm going to point out something that we didn't get in Matthew, which is really cool. Sometimes, you know, we want to see how the different people see it. Remember, we're looking at what does Jesus do as much as what he teaches and we start off today right away with Jesus feeding the 4,000. Remember, he's already fed 5,000, so he's teaching the people as they gather. Large, large crowds are gathered, and Jesus tells his disciples, I feel sorry for them. Now, remember, he's already called them apostles because he's raised them up to a new level. These are the called these 12 guys. And so you would think by now they've seen his great power and they've already seen him feed 5,000. And he says, I feel sorry for them. They've been here with me three days and had nothing to eat. I don't want to send them home hungry because I'm afraid they'll faint along the way. And their first question is, how are we supposed to find enough food to feed them in the wilderness? Wow. Really? I mean, look at, you are at a new level, okay? So this is, this really is good for us because it says, you know, we never get too big to rely on God. We never get too big to forget how good God is. It can escape us. And so Jesus poses the question, what do you have? See, really, if they've already lived it and they've been called to a new level, their faith should be deep. They should automatically be in the mode of, okay, here's what I have. Let's see what you do. Isn't that amazing? So he says, well, what do you have? And then they say, you know, it like clicks with them. Oh, oh, yeah. And they say seven loaves. See, sometimes we have to go to the Lord, and it's okay because he's not that kind of guy that, you know, reprimands us because we don't remember or because we need reminded. He's compassionate. He's compassionate on them as much as he is the others. Now, maybe here's the thought. Do you think of this? They haven't eaten either. Maybe that response they had is because they're hungry too. Remember when you're hungry, maybe you're semi-hangry. <laughs> and so their response was, that way because they're hungry too so jesus was like well how much do you have you know go find out and they come back with seven loaves 
So Jesus feeds the 4,000. This says men. There were women and children too. So you got to figure that in there too. And then when they pick it up, everybody ate. And after everybody ate, they pick up seven extra large baskets of food. So once again, Jesus has multiplied. What's he do? He feeds everybody. He's fed them enough, and he's multiplied to be extra as well. Crazy. So he does this, and then the Pharisees, you know, those churchy people, those religious leaders, those they're like, show us a miraculous sign. I'm like, what? What more sign do you need, man? And boy, does that bring back a story. And so Jesus just says, man, I'm not, I will not show this generation any such sign. And he just gets in the boat and crosses back the other side. And as he does this, he always, he's not going to pacify these religious leaders who are just out trying to negate all his good work. So while he's in the boat with the disciples, he tells them, you got to beware of these kind of guys because that's what can cause division, dissension, and all that in your church. Of course, he doesn't say these kind of guys. He says, beware the yeast of the Pharisees. And because he uses yeast, they think he's talking about, you know, come on, who didn't bring the bread in the boat with us because they don't have any bread in the boat because they're having an argument and then jesus is like come on you guys don't you remember how i fed the five thousand how many and he quizzes them how many baskets did you bring pick up after that and so they go through that whole thing and he says no that's not what i'm talking about and then they kind of figure it out right so they get to the other side and they go to Bethsaida, and there's a blind man there and he's wanting healed. And so we're going to see Bartimaeus in a little bit too. But here's what I want us to see. Jesus takes the man by the hand and leads him out of the city. Leads him out of the town. And then Jesus spits on his hands, makes mud, and puts it on the man's eyes and speaks over him. And says, can you see anything now? And he says, yeah, I see, but it looks like trees walking around. So then the Lord places his hands on his eyes again, prays over him again. And he says, now do you see? And he says, yeah, everything is clear. All right, so what does Jesus do? This time he places his hands on him, speaks over him. And he does it twice, okay? Leads him out of town, though. That's See, the, in the town, perhaps he does this to lead the man away from, one, the naysayers, and two, a place that identifies him as a blind man. Perhaps he's trying to get him away from a place where he's, his identity is blindness, to take him out to give him a new identity, which is an identity of being able to see, a person with vision. 
So maybe sometimes God just wants to take you somewhere where you have new identity and give you newness. Now, the first touch is like the first act of salvation. It's like you're saved, but you don't see everything clearly, and, and you keep going back and forth with this sin thing. And so we need that second touch from the Lord, which is sanctification, being filled with the Holy Spirit, dedicating our entire whole life to God and saying, Lord, I don't want to go back and waffle. I don't want to be in and out. I don't want to be lukewarm. I don't want to see everything clearly. And we get that second act of grace from God. Jesus said, no one can receive the Holy Spirit unless they know me. Well, we got to know him. We got to receive that first touch. We got to get saved first. We got to ask for repent. We got to repent and ask for forgiveness first to receive the second gift. And so that's kind of really good illustration here with this blind man. If we see that. And so if we're waffling back and forth a lot of times, we've not committed ourselves completely and wholly to Jesus and said, Lord, take all of me, come into me, fill me with your Holy Spirit. I don't want to keep doing that. Sanctify me completely. Sanctify just means set apart. And take me, I want to be wholly yours. Because we're going to see that here pretty soon in another story. So Jesus heals him completely and gives him new life and a new identity outside the city. Why do you say that? Because he says, don't go back in the village on your way home. That's how Mark leaves it. Don't go back. Why? Because that's the place that saw you as a blind man. That's where you were blind. But you're a new creation. Don't go back where you were. And when we get created new in Jesus, he doesn't want us to go back to our old way of life. He wants us to stay new and just get better and stronger. The disciples started out as disciples, and then he called them to a newer life of being apostles, the called ones. There's a lot of disciples following Jesus. Disciple just means followers. And he raised them to a new level, which means the called ones, the chosen ones, and made them have this new responsibility and when we receive that second means of grace it's really a new way of life that says i'm 100 percent totally committed i'm not hiding anything from you i'm all yours you lead me i don't lead me and so that that's a pretty cool illustration right there and so then jesus goes through the who do you say i am part with his dis- disciples and you know peter says you are the messiah and then he talks to him about um, that he's going to die again, you know, that he's going to be taken away and die. And that's where he has to reprimand Peter because Peter's like, no, this will never happen. And he says, get away from me, Satan. You only see things as a human does. And he kind of explains to him, you know, no, this has to happen because this is the way it was written long ago. And I'm here to fulfill that. Well, why do we know that? Well, because right after that, in the next chapter, Mark 9, is the transfiguration. Now, we saw that in Matthew, right? Peter, James, and John get to go with him. It's not a whole lot different here, but what we want to really see is the fact that Moses and Elijah, you know, they see them with Jesus, his 
clothes turn white, real white, bright, and, uh, you know, they see him with him and they blurt out that they want to build shelters for him because they really don't know what to say. And the Lord from heaven speaks, this is my dearly beloved son, listen to him. I think that's huge. But there's key element into why we see, why they see Moses and Elijah. See, historically, Moses and Elijah represent, Moses represents the law, Elijah represents the prophetic word, and they're there with Jesus because Jesus is the culmination of both of those, the law and the prophecies, and he's fulfillment of the law and the prophecies because he is the word, he is the fulfillment of the prophecy, and he is all of that combined, and so they're all there together, and that's what they see. And so um, Jesus, when that all gets done, you know, and they're coming down the hill, he says, hey, don't tell anybody about this till after I've raised from the dead. Because when he's raised from the dead, that whole thing makes more sense. Because then it's truly 100% fulfilled. Because he is the law. I am the way, the truth, the life. And he is the fulfillment of the prophecy, which says in the prophecy, because he is a prophet too, that he's going to raise from the dead. Because he just told his guys that just before that. But here's what's interesting. As they come down the mountain, they get met by a dad with a demon-possessed boy. Sounds like he's a seizures, a demons of seizures. And he's uh, like... I'm bringing my son to you because I would, I would like you to heal him. I took him to your disciples, but they couldn't do it. He's got these scissors, throw him in the ground, and he grinds his teeth, foams at the mouth, and they couldn't heal him. And Jesus is like, you faithless people, how long am I going to be with you? And he says, bring the boy to me. How long has this been happening? And so the dad tells him since he was a little boy, it often throws him in the fire or in the water trying to kill him. Have mercy on us and help us if you can. <laughs> this is the dad. Now he says if you can because he's already asked the disciples and they couldn't do it. So he's having this lack of faith because they've already prayed over his son and nothing happened. But now he's talking to the Messiah himself. But, rem but remember... It's already failed for him once. See, I think a lot of times we approach Jesus with a lack of with a, a lack of faith because of unmet expectations when we get into other settings. But if we really believe, oh, did I say that? Yeah, because he says, Jesus' response is, what do you mean I can? Anything is possible if a person believes. See, if we really believe... Anything is possible. And the father's reply is, I do believe, but help me in my unbelief. See, some of us carry a lot of unbelief. See, the, for, the, the front of our mind says, I believe, but in the back of our mind, we come to the throne with a lot of unbelief because of unmet expectations. Yeah, I've prayed for this for a long time and nothing happened, so I'm really not expecting it to happen again. That's unbelief. 
That's saying, if you can, to the Father. And it's like, what? No, once you get on the same playing field with me, then it'll be met. Because remember in Matthew, in Matthew, Jesus said, you can pray for anything, and if you believe, it will be given you. So we have to get that out of our mindset that if you can, process. And that's what we get out of the story because that's what Jesus is doing is trying to get us to see we can do anything. And so the disciples say, hey, how come we couldn't do that? And he's like, you can only do that with prayer. And what he's saying is you can only do that with earnest, wholehearted prayer, which we got in Jeremiah 29, 12. When you pray to me wholeheartedly, then you will hear me and I will hear you. Ooh, that's good stuff. Yeah, I do get excited sometimes about this because it's really good. So then Jesus talks about how he's going to get killed again and rise on the third day. Remember, he's fulfillment of the prophecy and a prophet himself. And then these guys start arguing about who's going to be the best in the kingdom. And so Jesus sits them down and says, whoever wants to be first has to be last, and you got to take a servant heart. And he gets a child, puts it in front of him, and says, you have to become like a child. And, man, we have to be humble and with the mindset of a child, not with a childish mind, but with the humbleness and a childlike trust in Jesus. And man, if we remember that, we're going to go a long way with this, this faith we have in Jesus. And so, of course, the Pharisees come and they try to trick him over divorce and marriage. And he's like, this part, you know, I highlight this everywhere I find it. Moses only gave you a, a certificate of divorce because of your hard hearts. There was never God's intent for us to have divorce because God made them male and female from the beginning of creation. That's explaining why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife and the two are united into one. They are no longer two, but one. Let no one split apart what God has joined together. So if you are together, don't let any man-made situation ever tear you apart. And here, you know, it's really interesting. My wife is our uh, sole source of income in our family, but we are still one because it takes two to make that happen. I have responsibilities I have to do that allows her to do what she has to do to be that source so we know that even though that's the case, it takes two of us to make that happen because we are one. And so many people get hung up on that and start getting prideful in what they do and acting like, well, I'm the only one that does this and I'm not. No, it takes two because we're one. And, you know, I may not do enough. Unfortunately, I feel that way sometimes. 
But I know that it takes us both, and it's a joint effort in everything we do. And with the two of us working together, we make it happen. And so then Jesus blesses the little children, and again he reminds us that unless we have childlike faith, where we have the trust like a child has in their parents, you know, we won't see the kingdom because the kingdom belongs to them. And then we're reminded again that we have to love the Lord our God with all our heart and all our soul because the rich man comes and says, hey, what, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus is like, you know, you got to obey the commandments. And he says, I've obeyed all those. And what's really good, this is only found in Mark because this story's in Mark, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, but only in Mark do we get this message. My wife actually pointed this out to me. Mark 10, 21, this is only found in Mark. Jesus looked at the man and Jesus felt genuine love for him. Mark points out that Jesus had genuine love because Mark is all about what's he doing. He's looking at him with genuine love because Jesus knew in his heart that this man still had a God before him because he says, go and sell your possessions. There's one thing you haven't done. Go and sell your possessions and give your money to the poor and come follow me. And the man's face fell, and he went away sad, for he had many possessions. See, he couldn't let go of his riches, his earthly riches. That was more important to him than following Jesus. Now, if we're wealthy, Jesus wouldn't really say, go give everything you have up and follow him. But what he would say is, don't let your money come before me. In other words, tithe on everything you have, give to the poor, and make sure that it doesn't become a distraction that comes before me. Give to the needy. Make sure you give to your tithe the first of your first fruits and don't let it come between me and you. And really that's what he's telling this guy. But because he took it to heart like that, he walked away because he's like, oh no, my money is everything. And that's when Jesus says it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And when he's talking rich, it's not always about money, but someone who's rich in their own mindset of whatever that rich is. Rich in attitude, rich in self-worth, rich in self-mind, where something is bigger than God because he knew this guy put something ahead of God. So then the disciples were like, well, then who can be saved? Because they are taking the whole eye camel through the eye of a needle, literally. And Jesus says, humanly speaking, it's impossible. 
And they said, well, what? And they said, Jesus says, but with God, everything is possible. And so here's the thing. We, we can't save anybody. That's truth. That's what Jesus is trying to say. I can't save you by praying with you. When I pray with you and, and you're asking Jesus to come into your heart, I can't save you. But Jesus can. That's the whole point. So when I pray with you, you know, and I pray with anybody, they need to be praying that prayer of forgiveness and asking Jesus in their heart. I can't do it for you. I can just help you through it. And that's what he's trying to sell you. And then he promises anyone that's done that is going to re- get a huge return for doing it. Because that's what it says. And he's already said that. Anyone who is persecuted for my name's sake, be glad in it, for great is your reward. Because, you know, anytime you accept Jesus, somebody's got something to say about it because they remember who you used to be. And that's awesome. So then Jesus teaches about his... uh, about serving others because the boys want to know if they can sit next to him on his right hand when they get to heaven. And what's different in Mark than Matthew is in Matthew, the mom asks if they can sit next to Jesus. But in Mark, it shows that they ask themselves. But Jesus just says, oh, you don't know. You don't know. You you don't know what you're asking. But that's not mine to answer. Only the Father answers that. And whoever wants to be a leader is going to have to be a servant. So we always got to keep a servant mindset. You can be a good leader, but you still got to have a servant mindset. And I think that's good for all of us to realize that some of the greatest leaders we know, if you think of those that have been your manager, your supervisor, uh, or even pastors have always had the the good ones that you know have always had a good servant heart and been willing to lead by example. And I think of one of my supervisors when I was on the ambulance. She was, I mean, I only had like two ever because I became a supervisor, but I took this supervisor to heart. Mama G was the greatest supervisor ever. And, I mean, she's not there anymore. She's still here, though. And she led by example, but yet she was a good leader, too. She would keep me in check when I needed to be put in check. But she was a great servant leader, too, because there wasn't anything she wouldn't ask us to do that she wouldn't do, too. And so I learned from her example. So when I became a supervisor, I I always thought of that. And even today in ministry, I think of how she led and I try to lead like that because I want to be a good example for those I'm leading. And so when you get those kind of leaders, it helps you and that will be a mark for you forever. And it has for me. And so we close out with Jesus healing another blind man. 
it was Bartimaeus. And it, they don't really name him in Matthew, but what's really interesting about this blind man, you know, Jesus is walking through town. This is Jericho, and they hear, hear Bartimaeus and he's crying out, have mercy on me. People try to cut it, shut him up, and he's like, no, he's not going to do it because he really just wants the Lord. First of all, he's blind, so how does he know? So he must have an idea that it's Jesus, right? But Jesus says, what do you want me to do for you? And he says, I just want to see. And remember the last blind man we had earlier in chapter 8, Jesus led him out of the city, right? Gives him a new identity and says, don't go back to what you used to be, right? But for this man, Jesus just speaks a word and he's healed. And he says, go, your faith has healed you. Boom, he's instantly healed. Instantly, Mark puts it that way. Instantly, the man could see. Now, here's here's what I think. We got people sitting there sh trying to shut him up. They got people sitting there, standing there, trying to make him be quiet. We got people there that are annoyed by him because he is crying out to the Messiah. And that's like, this is my God. This is my turn. This is, you don't, we don't want you. And they're kind of like putting him aside like he's a troublesome pain in the rear end, right? And then Jesus comes to him in front of all these people who had just tried to shut him up and put him out and just speaks a word and heals him. See, I think sometimes Jesus wants to take all of us who think other people aren't worthy and aren't going to receive. And I think sometimes Jesus wants to say, it's mine to say, not yours, and he's a person too, and I love him just as much as anybody in this crowd, be healed, boom, and he heals them to kind of put us where we need to be so that we can't go around trying to say who's worthy and who isn't. And I think he heals Bartimaeus with a word because he wants the naysayers to just be humbled because he just got say got through saying those who will be first will be last and those who will be last will be first and they have been putting him last the whole time and Jesus just made him first so today if you're feeling last know this Jesus thinks you're first and if we're going around pompous and prideful Remember, the Lord has a way of humbling us. And I think we need to stay humble, which is one of the messages I tell my kids all the time. Stay humble because the Lord has a way of humbling us, and I don't want to be humbled. I want to stay humble. But I love watching him work, don't you? And I would have loved to seen him just say the word, 
and let this guy become first. Have a great Thursday. We'll see you tomorrow.